Today on Blue 58, a week after it felt like their season had bottomed out, the Packers found a new low, managing to score just 10 points at home against the New York Jets. Talking about this game feels more like an autopsy than a recap. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. I'm happy to be with you. Wasn't so happy watching the Packers. And this update, recap, whatever is going up a bit late, significantly late, later than I would like to get it out, but that was because of some difficulties. Getting this game actually watched start to finish, and we'll go into that during the notebook clearing segment, how hard it is to watch an actual football game. But this one, harder to watch than most. As part of some of the duties I have with Acme Packing Company, uh, every so often, every couple of weeks, as a, we rotate this responsibility, I do a Q&A with an opposing writer um, just from around the league. And this week, I got to talk with the uh, the team from Gangrene Nation, uh, from, Acme Pack, or from uh, SB Nation. And uh, they asked, as they always do uh, in their last question, for my prediction for the game. And talking about the Packers, I, I said, you know, maybe using an analogy from from poker, there's a saying that goes something like, if you can't spot the sucker at the table, it's you. And I said, that's how I feel sometimes this season, picking the Packers. Like, it feels like everybody else around the NFL is in on something that I am not in on. And it feels like these last couple of weeks, I've just had blind faith almost in the Packers that they're going to figure this out sooner or later. And I think we need to start coming to terms with the fact that maybe this isn't figure out a bull. Or at least things aren't going to get figured out anytime soon. Because what I saw when I watched this Packers game was failures at pretty much every level. Brian Gutekunst put together a wide receiver room that consisted of Alan Lazard, Romeo Dobbs, Amari Rodgers, and Jawan Winfrey by the end of the game. You can add Randall Cobb in there if you want. It doesn't improve things a whole lot. None of those guys win really individually, consistently, though Romeo Dobbs, the numbers show that he's open a lot. But even if they are winning individually, they're not doing it within the scope of the offense. And even when they are, they're not really lighting the world on fire, and none of your options behind Lazard and Dobbs and Cobb are worth anything at all. And even when Cobb has been good, building your offense around a 32-year-old slot receiver seems like a terrible idea at best. Sammy Watkins has had one good game. Guess what? He got injured, as he does. Christian Watson was fast. It didn't seem like the Packers knew how to use him other than be fast side to side. On the offensive line, you've got a tire fire at right guard right now. Royce Newman is bad. Jake Hansen is worth worse. Sean Ryan, your third-round pick from this spring, is a healthy scratch again. And the coaches won't play Zach Tom. You've got some clear talent evaluation problems, if not at receiver, on the offensive line. And that talent evaluation problem filters down to the coaching staff. Let's talk about Matt LaFleur. The offensive line situation has been bad, and they are not trying to fix it. Adam Stanovich said this week that things, as it, comes, as it pertains to the Packers' offensive approach, said bad offenses are the ones who just do things stubbornly, stubbornly who run the ball because we run the ball, and darn it, we're going to run the ball. Well, Adam, Matt, 
Luke Butkus, assistant offensive line coach, you are the guys who keep putting Royce Newman on the field and not trying anything new at all. He has been the Packers' worst offensive lineman by a wide margin, a catastrophically wide margin. And it is abundantly clear that anybody with any kind of sense is going to go after him, and it's working. It worked last week against the Giants. It worked this week from or with the New York Jets. And I would bet a significant amount of money that the Washington Commanders, weird thing to say, weird-sounding name, are going to figure out a way to do it because, you know what, they've got a pretty good defensive line. Who do you think they're going to go after? It's going to be Royce Newman if he's out on the field. But beyond that, this offense just has no creativity at all. The best idea we've seen from Matt LaFleur this season is, what if we tried two running backs at the same time? That's about it. And you know what? That didn't really work. It worked pretty poorly. This is a guy who was literally hired because of his offensive acumen. He comes from the Shanahan McVeigh tree of the, the West Coast offense. He's supposed to be a guy who can get the most out of the least. You can quibble with that assessment. I think there's there's fair reason to talk about whether or not that's actually an accurate characterization of his career prior to ending up in Green Bay, but he's built his reputation in Green Bay on being able to get the most out of the Packers offense, and that's something he's largely done with Aaron Rodgers and the offense over the past two years. But we haven't seen that this year. We've just seen them try to do really basic stuff, it seems. There just hasn't been that much juice to this offense. And a big part of that is because of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has been bad. And there are extenuating factors, but you can slice the number any different ways, accounting for any number of different contingencies. The numbers aren't good. From clean pockets, he's bad. When he's blitzed, he's bad. On the move, he's bad. It just is not good from Rodgers. This week in particular, the thumb seemed to be bothering him early on, though it seems, I thought, to have improved uh, as the game went on. But the deep balls are not close. The the short stuff is not close. Uh, there was, in particular, a deep shot to Romeo Dobbs that was nowhere near being completed. Nowhere near that. You should, with Aaron Rodgers at any level of performance, be able to get 21 points on the Jets and... Rodgers was below that. And 21 would have been enough except for the special teams, which had been solid all year long until today when they allowed a field goal to be blocked, a punt to be blocked, and just for good measure, they had a holding penalty wipe out a pretty decent return by Amari Rodgers. Terrific. Great stuff all around. That, by and large, meant that a good performance by the Packers' defense went pretty much by the board. And to be fair to Joe Barry, this is not, wasn't a catastrophically bad performance, but when the Packers needed stops late, they just couldn't do it. They may have been tired because the offense couldn't get off the field or on the field or stay on the field or whatever it was in the second half, but with the game on the line, two long scoring drives allowed the Jets to put it away. 
the Packers gave up 24 points to the Jets in the second half. Some of that on a, a block field goal, but you, you take my meaning. The Jets moved the ball on the Packers when the Packers absolutely had to get a stop. Four plays, 74 yards, touchdown. Five plays, 66 yards, touchdown. 13 plays, 58 yards, touchdown. Punt from a block field, or from, touchdown from a block punt aside, that is not a winning result for your defense. The Packers should have been able to make that work, that defense, that defensive performance. They should have been able to score enough to make that work. The defense did them no favors. Maybe they were just exhausted, whatever, but there's, there's other issues too. They just could not stop the run. When it mattered, they could not. Brees Hall had success all day. Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker were regularly getting suckered by movement up front when they weren't just missing tackles. And we'll return to that when we talk about Quay Walker, or excuse me, Devondre Campbell a little bit later on. But even if it's just a moderate failure by the defense, it's still a failure. Even if special teams was broadly good, and there were good moments from special teams. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. I mean, Amari Rogers, shoot, I'll just talk about it right now. Amari Rodgers had a couple good returns. Keyshawn Nixon had a good kickoff return. Rudy Ford kept doing his thing on, on punt coverage. Uh, Pat O'Donnell had another solid punt down inside the 10-yard line. But it wasn't enough because the offense wasn't good enough. And the offense wasn't good enough because the coaches aren't putting them in position to succeed. And the coaches can't put them in a position to succeed because they're dealing from half a deck. Bad defense. Bad special teams, bad quarterback, bad coaching, bad roster. You got a bad football team. It's embarrassing. And I don't know any other way to put it than just a failure at every level. Nothing is working. And if it is working, they don't stick with it long enough for it to matter. The run game wasn't great this week. It was great last week. They didn't stick with it. I, I have a tough time finding one thing that did work on offense that they could have stuck with this this week. But the larger point is it's just, it's bad everywhere. And it's hard to know where to start or what to talk about if you try to get specific about those bad things. It just, it's bad. It's just a bad team right now. And I don't know how much it can really get better. You add in... Sammy Watkins and Christian Watson. Okay, your receiving core is better, but is it is it better enough? Things get better on the right side of the offensive line. It's better. Is it good enough? The defense starts tackling better. Okay, that might make a difference because they've been so bad tackling so far that it's hard to even know if, if anything else that they're doing is really going to matter. That's how you end up with a running game, seemingly week in and week out, that just makes it impossible, it seems, for the defense to do anything. It just, there's so many things going on, and it's almost like you you almost wish there was just, if, if we continue this sinking ship analogy, you almost wish there was just a giant hole gushing water in the side of your boat. You know, that's bad. That's a bad thing to happen if you're the Titanic and you're going down, but at least we can focus on fixing that thing if we're trying to keep this ship afloat. But it seems like for the Packers, it's a bunch of small to medium-sized holes almost everywhere. And they can't focus on any one of them long enough to make the ship stay afloat. And right now it feels like the boat is going down in a hurry because next week there's some more matchup problems with the Washington Commanders, though at a lesser extent than I think the uh, 
the New York Jets. And then coming behind them is Buffalo. And somebody asked in our Discord server this week if if we were scared of the, the Buffalo Bills. And if you are, that's that's fine. Personally, I'm not afraid of the Buffalo Bills right now because to continue the analogy that I used in our, our Discord conversation about it, seeming or being afraid of the Bills right now feels like a dinosaur being afraid of the asteroid. What's it going to change? It you, It's going to blow up the planet either way. We're just going to probably be roadkill for the Bills. And they're just going to continue on their merry way toward being Super Bowl contenders. And the Packers are just going to just be another bug on the windshield. We always do three good things. Here are three very quick good things. David Bakhtiari played most of the game that mattered. I don't recall if he came out for the last drive. Let me just look here at participation. No, it doesn't look like he, he was out there. He, he played 95% of the snaps. That's good. Good. Step in the right direction. The defense appeared to let Jair Alexander and others play more man-to-man. Finally, good. Why did it take this long? I don't know. But it worked, and Jair had great success when he was in man-to-man coverage. And to throw in one more thing that we said earlier, Keyshawn Nixon had a nice kickoff return. The bad things. I mentioned some issues with the wide receiver room. Okay. You should be able to win with the guys you've got. I said uh, a, a few weeks back that I, I think that I'm more or less okay with the talent level in the room. But if there is a problem with this wide receiver group, it's that none of them seem to be able to win fast. You need to scheme them open. And they are getting open when they're schemed open. But when you're giving up pressure, especially on blitzes and stuff, quickly, that doesn't matter. Uh, the great Dusty Evely uses a line kind of bringing an analogy over from basketball about a guy who can get a bucket when you need it. Okay, you're down you're down 5, you're on the brink of a game slipping away from you. Who can get a bucket to staunch the bleeding? Who can get a bucket in a key spot to win the game for you? If the Packers were in a situation where they needed somebody to get them a key catch, who would you turn to right now that you would feel confident about? getting a win one-on-one in a key situation. I like Alan Lazard a lot. I don't know if he is that guy. I think Romeo Dobbs can be that guy, and even if the advanced numbers show that he is getting open a lot, I don't know if he's that guy right now. And if you don't have a guy who can win fast, that's when you have problems with the blitz and hot reads and stuff like that. And that is, I think, a big problem with the Packers' offense right now. The offensive line seems to have cascading problems. And maybe that stabilizes this week. But if you've got David Bakhtiari rotating with Yash Nyman on the left side, that means that you can't explore him with a as a key solution on the right side. Yash Nyman, that is. So if you want to bump Elton Jenkins on the inside or to the inside to guard on the right side to get Royce Newman off the field, you need a right tackle. And your right tackle there would be Yash Nyman, ideally. But if he is on the call list, I guess, to be on the field at left tackle at a moment's notice, well, you can't really have him over there on the right side because things get bleak in a hurry if David Bakhtiari does have to come off the field on the left side, you understand. It's not a problem that's easily fixed right now unless you feel really good about where David Bakhtiari is. And no matter what Bakhtiari seems to say off the field, it doesn't seem like the coaches are there with them, at least until this week. We'll see how things go heading into next week. 
Finally, and I mentioned this in passing, but the inside linebackers on defense are lost right now. Devondre Campbell, I don't know if it's regression. I don't know if it's I got paid. Neither of those things is something you can really prove. What you can say is he's been bad so far this year. Put some numbers on it. Nine missed tackles through six games, including zero in one game against New York, uh, the Giants, that is. Nine missed tackles in six games. That's a lot, right? Yeah. Ties his career high already for an entire season. Previous best, previous worst, I guess, was uh, nine in a season against Arizona in 2020. If he doesn't miss another tackle the rest of the way, he's still going to tie his career worst season already. And he's managed that through just six games. Given how things have gone so far, do you really think we're going to go the rest of the way without another missed tackle? I think that feels a little bit unlikely. Next to him, it seems like Quay Walker has been figured out. He was really solid the first couple weeks, but you seem to be able to trick him with offensive linemen or just pulling movement up front. At the end around play, he got suckered real bad by a tight end doing, I don't know if it's technically a windback block, uh, but he did a little like loop block, Jeff Uzoma, I think it was, on the left side of the line, where it looked like he took a couple steps one way and then spun completely in a circle and ended up being the, the lead man for Braxton Berrios. Walker was entirely out of position. As a result of that move, he was clearly tracking what was going on in front of him with his eyes. And sure, that's part of what you're supposed to do as a linebacker, but he ended up wildly out of position and was very easy to block. It's a problem. And it's a, it's a big problem with the Packers defense right now because it's really hard for your, your run defense to be any good if your linebackers can't be any good. And right now the linebackers are not any good for the Packers. What does this game mean? At a, a base level, it means that the Packers are 3-3, three and three, which puts them currently second in the NFC North, a distant second because the Vikings are 5-1. and one. And if you're inclined to watch such things in the middle of October, the Packers are currently the eighth seed in the NFC, which is not terrible. But remember, only seven teams make the playoffs. I know the playoffs don't start this weekend, but as of right now, the Packers would be out and this is what we thought was the easier part of their schedule. All the way back after week one, it was somewhat fashionable to say, well, yeah, dropped week one, but look at the schedule. I mean, if they if they can handle the Patriots, there's a good chance that they're going to Buffalo 5-1. and one. Easy peasy, right? Well, turns out it has not been easy peasy because it's we're 3-3 we're three and three right now. It's considerably worse than 5-1 and one or 6-1, and one, whatever it would have been. That's the, the hard and fast stuff. But more broadly, the, the Packers have some, some real problems right now. And I think it's, it's kind of summed up in this quote from Robert Sala after the game. Uh, he was asked what his halftime speech to the, the Jets was, you know, going in tied. And he said something like this, or he told them he said something like this. Just keep giving the Packers body blow after body blow. Keep hitting them in the mouth. We felt like if we kept taking them down to the deepest water, deeper water, they'll find out they can't swim, end quote. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that I really push back against the idea that any given team is soft. I think it's kind of an unfalsifiable thing. How would you know if a team was soft culturally? 
there's all the things about like not handling adversity, not being ready to punch guys in the mouth, stuff like that. As fans, I don't think there's a way that we can really know that kind of stuff. But if a team was soft, how would it look? What would it feel like? Or if there was a coach who was inclined to coach soft teams, who would know that? Just as a guest, maybe his best friend. Maybe if you're Matt LaFleur, a guy you came up coaching with, a guy who knows you pretty well, a guy who you hung out with prior to this game, a guy like Robert Sala, he would probably know, right? Now, I understand that that's the sort of quote that sounds really good after a win. If the Jets say that at halftime and Aaron Rodgers connects with Romeo Dobbs on a couple deep shots in the second half and Aaron Jones breaks off a big run and the Packers end up winning, you know, 26 to 3 because, you know, Zach Wilson throws a couple interceptions, it's it fine, sure, try to take the Packers out to the deeper water and they'll find out if they can swim. That's a great thing to say when it works out. But on the other hand, it played out exactly how Salah thought. And it's hard not to wonder if there isn't some kind of cultural issue like that in Green Bay. Because this is now a couple weeks in a row where we've seen this exact kind of script play out in a loss. And it was pretty similar to what the, the Giants did. Well, it's pretty similar to what the Patriots did and almost stole a win of their own. And I wonder if they'd had an entire week to prep with Bailey Zappi if they hadn't been able or if they wouldn't have been able to do it. Clearing out the notebook, just a couple other random thoughts and observations. This this game is this podcast is coming to you late because it is very difficult to watch the NFL easily. Usually where I live in northwest Ohio, you can count pretty reliably on having the Packers over the air, either because they're in prime time or because they're on some version of the game of the week, 12-ish times a year, 10 to 12 times per year. That was supposed to be the case this week. Setting aside the difficulty of getting a TV antenna to work in 2022, that is not that big of a problem until the NFL changed the broadcast map right at the last second. Instead of getting Packers-Jets, I got Buccaneers-Steelers. Okay, not a big deal. Not ideal, but... I can just use the NFL Sunday ticket thing that I paid for, that DirecTV told me auto-renewed back in August, right? No, of course not. Because I log into my DirecTV account, it says, please sign in. Okay, I was just signed in recently. I'll sign in again. As it turns out, DirecTV did not auto-renew the thing that they said they auto-renewed for me, despite if you go to the account settings, it says, yeah, auto-renew is turned on. And if you go through the sign-up process for the thing that I was supposed to have bought, they say, nope, sorry, can't do that for you because of reasons. We can, however, offer you literally the same thing under a different name for literally twice as much money. Why can we not in 2022, and I realize this is a first world problem on a soapbox where, you know, talking after a game where I'm already bitter about how my team performed. Why can we not just buy a thing in the year 2022 that lets us just stream whatever NFL game we want? That technology exists. You can access those streams right now illegally. If you've been on the internet, you, 
You can do it. The streams exist right now. Sunday Ticket is supposed to be that, but actually it isn't. Because if you pay that $280 to be able to watch NFL Sunday Ticket, you will still get the games blocked out that they deem are local. All I want to be able to do in the year 2022 is to be able to watch the NFL games through my lightning fast internet and not relying on my sketchy antenna, which is only allowed to receive games at the whim of the NFL. Keep in mind that I'm having this entire frustration because I thought that the game was supposed to come to my house. And it was as of Wednesday, but as of Saturday, the NFL decided that it wouldn't be. How dumb is this in the year 2022? Related to this, just as long as we're getting weird and stuff, I think it would be neat if the pick six that got called back early in the Packers game, and I know this one against the Packers, had stood just because it was a neat play. Aaron Rodgers throws an out route short to Robert Tunyon. The ball gets bounced up in the air because it simultaneously appears to hit his hand in the ground. Bounces up in the air, falls right into Sauce Gardner's hands, and he's off to the races for a touchdown. Ultimately, it gets called back. The correct ruling. But I think it should have stood just because it was a hilarious play. And I think there should be a rule that allows coaches to have a yeah-but-it-was-cool override once per season that they can use once and then it's gone forever. Or something like that, just to overrule plays that were changed on review. So a play gets called one way on the field that benefits your team and then it gets changed on a review. You should be able to say, yeah, but it was cool if it was a cool play, and then it just goes back to how it was. I'm thinking of the Mercedes Lewis touchdown last year against the Cardinals. That was called a touchdown on the field, changed on review. It would have been the play of the season because it was just so cool. It should have been allowed to stand just because it was cool. This is the mindset I'm in after watching the Packers embarrass themselves for the second week in a row. Actual football stuff. Amari Rodgers out on the field for 24 snaps of offense. Yep, it was because Randall Cobb was hurt, but no obvious mix-ups. Had a nice 15-yard catch. And in, on top of watching him run tough on a couple of punt returns, I think we've got a couple baby steps here. Let's see what things look like for him with Randall Cobb out for a while, because I imagine just based on the impressions that we're getting, it looks like it might be a little while. This is the time to see what Randall Cobb has got, because the guy who has been keeping Randall Cobb, or who it's the time to see what Amari Rogers has got, because the guy who's been keeping him off the field, Amari Rogers, is, is out. You might as well. Let's see what he's got. This is, this is where it's going to happen for him. Rashawn Gary, if you want another positive for the Packers, he's up to six sacks in six games. He was gifted one against the Jets. That's fine. Sometimes that's the way it breaks. He had a good one taken from him last week. He can get the cheapie this week. Of note, in terms of his career progression, he has now surpassed all but last season for his season sack total. So he had two or two and a half as a rookie, five the next season, nine and a half last season. He's up to six for this season. Rashawn is headed in the right direction. No worries about Rashawn Gary currently. Speaking of sacks, J.J. Inigbari got his first career sack against the Jets, one of two for the Packers on the day. Congrats to him. Our prediction for him on the season was at least three, so he's a third of the way there. Not too shabby. And I think as the season has, has played out, it's become clear that he is the de facto third edge rusher right now. Now that he's got one in the can, maybe the others come quicker. On a bit of a down note, A.J. Dillon is, 
I don't know if we're, I can even say concerned anymore. We're, we're past concerned because he's just really not producing when he gets opportunities this year. I think the offensive line is probably dragging him down considerably, but he hasn't been great. He's been under four yards per carry two times this year. In the low fours, another couple of times, he's got a career low four yards per target in passing in the passing game. It just hasn't been good. And it doesn't seem like other than pass blocking, he's really a guy you can count on right now to be a plus player when he's on the field. And that's just too bad because there's so much to love about A.J. Dillon. And I'm really hoping he figures it out over the course of the rest of the season. Ending on a positive note, things overall, maybe, maybe even that's overstating it. Things were bad at times, let's say that, for the Packers' defense against the Jets. But with two sacks and five PBUs, pass breakups, they had seven ball hawks in the game. That was something we mentioned being a concern heading into this game. They were not making plays on the ball. Seven is the second highest total of the season. Ultimately, it was wasted. But still, it's significantly better than they have been. And it seems like it is a step in the right direction for this Packers defense. Let's see what they can do next week against the very, very generous Carson Wentz. And we'll see if they really are taking steps forward or if it was just a fluky performance uh, amidst a season of pretty fluky performances in all directions, it seems, this year. That really has kind of been the story of the 2022 Packers. What are you going to get when you turn on the Green Bay Packers on a given week? We really don't know. I wish I could say that was the right kind of interesting because, you know, what do you say about, you know, bad movies and stuff like that? If you're going to be bad, at least be interesting. Are the Packers interesting bad or are they just bad, bad? Right now it feels like the second one. Maybe if we can't get all the way to good, at least we can be bad headed in the right direction the next couple of weeks. Boy, things have changed this season, haven't they? Appreciate you sticking with us. I appreciate you still listening. I appreciate you um, continuing to to tune in here, even if it seems like the Packers are tuning out over the course of this year. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. If you enjoyed this show, I would appreciate it if you would share it with someone else you think would enjoy it. That is the number one way that we grow. We've been continuing to grow this season, as we seem to have done every year, in in part because of that work on your, your part. And I appreciate that ever so much. Uh, getting more people involved in this conversation is the way that we all get smarter together. And nobody needs it in a season like this more than me, because finding things to be positive about, finding little micro trends about this team is really what it's going to come down to. Whether they improve or not, this conversation about the Packers is going to come down to that kind of stuff. And getting smarter together is really the ultimate goal. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.